Hello and welcome to the preview for Livingston versus Celtic kickoff at 12pm on Sunday the 30th of October at the Tony Macaroni Stadium. I'm Christopher Gallagher and usually these inserts go into the lunch club but we decided to kind of break it up this week uh, because Christian had a lot of interest and insight into how Livingston are going to play. Uh, We also spoke to uh, Callum Brown about the Livingston perspective. We're also going to have the um, press conference, the key kind of comments from the press conference. So we're going to do, uh, we'll get Callum's point of view from the what we can expect from Livingston and how they see this match. Then we'll go to the press conference and uh, we'll get the, the key points from there. And then we'll finish off uh, with Christian uh, and we can uh, look at how Celtic can counter Livingston and uh, what we can do to ultimately win the game. So, Without further ado, let's go and get the Livingston perspective. Joining me now is previous guest, Callum Brown, a former media man for Livingston and now journalist and commentator at BN Sports. Hello, Callum. How are you, sir? Good, mate. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, Looking forward to uh, an interesting game, no doubt. Uh, um, The Tony Macaroni, as we always seem to have. Um, The last time we spoke was the 9th of September. Celtic were supposed to play Livingston at Celtic Park. Um, Unfortunately, due to the death of the Queen, that was postponed. But this weekend, it's the reverse fixture. We're going to the Tony Macaroni. How are Livingston? What's happening? Talk us through where you guys are at the moment. It's really really mixed, I would say, like... I'm I'm very happy with the, the start to the season. Um but again that's kinda it's twinged a little bit with what could have been, you know, the, we look at a few results of, of late. Um Ross County at home, I think we we played very well, but you know, you come away with a one 0 defeat and St Mirren away as well, they go down to ten men, chance to, to make it one each, we miss a penalty, we then get an equaliser, um, but go on to lose the game to ten men two one. So Again, you're probably looking at six points dropped from those. But again, you know, look at the weekend. It's a, I'm sure you guys would have been just as excited as us with that. But, you know, you're so close to three points at, at Ibrox. I mean, you bit your hand off for a, a point before the game. Again, it's sort of a wee bit gutted towards the the end of the game. But again, a point at Ibrox is, is fantastic. But overall, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm fairly happy with, with the season. Um, you know, we're, we're doing okay in the league. It's, it's probably a bit of a cliche, but I tend not to look too much at, at the early stage because you know one one week you know you've got people tipping us for top six, and then you lose a couple, and you're saying, "Oh, you could be in a relegation battle." That's kind of how it's been the last the last month or so. But you know we're we're, we're looking up. I would say um, there was concern after those back to back defeats to St Mirren and Ross County, but you know we we go and beat St Johnston at home comfortably. I know it's only one 0 but control that game and then you go and get a point at Ibrox so um, we're doing well I would say um, we're doing well and we've competed in most games bar Aberdeen away which we go down to 10 men um, you know that's that's 0-0 and we've created a good few chances before that but we capitulate and we get beat 5-0 but I think other than that game we've we've been in every single game that we've played and it's been extremely tight so you know, we're competing competing every match um, It's funny um, obviously as Celtic fans, you you know you start from the bottom, and you know I'm sure some Celtic fans don't look beyond you know their own team. Like most most teams, most teams fans might not look beyond their own team. But when you look at that middle chunk, it really is you know you can go on you can go on like a a, a nice run and still not break away from that yeah. kind of middle chunk of that league. And you know that must always be kind of on your mind that you know you are two or three games away from being dropped down into a relegation battle. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Um, it is crazy. I'd I'd looked at sort of before the the Rangers game, I think, and maybe we've got ten points from the last six, which which you wouldn't really think. Um, you know, given the the results I mentioned with those losses, it could have been could have been even more. But yeah, it's, again, it's, it was a similar last season. It was, I think, the league got criticised a lot for me um, unfairly, and I know it's maybe there's maybe not the best quality or whatever, but I think. The reason it's so tight is because there's there's nothing between the teams. I don't think that's due to a lack of quality, personally. You know, you looked at it last season, um, Hearts kind of ran away with third. But other than that, it was, you know, I think we missed out on the top six by a point on the last day. 
um, before the split, um, and then ended up finishing with more points than than fourth, I believe. So you know there was there was nothing between fourth down to even eleventh. Um, I think Dundee were a bit towards the end, but nothing really between your St Johnstons, St Mirren, Ross Counties um, at the moment. And I think we we'd include ourselves in that Motherwell again St Mirren as I mentioned. Um, Kilmarnock even that have come up so yeah. it's it's really tight there's there's not a lot between between any of the clubs and I'm sure I'm sure Celtic will kind of to kind of realise that as well you know some some teams will give them a go uh, some teams will give them a game you look at St Mirren um, a couple of months ago but yeah um, it, it is really tight and I think that's a credit to the league personally again you could sit and say it's due to a lack of quality everyone can beat anyone etc but I mean, Hearts have struggled this season as well, and they ran away with it last year. So, definitely think it's a a positive for for Scottish football, anyway. I, I'm a huge proponent of that. I think I think I love our league. I think I, I much prefer watching a Scottish Premier League game or Premiership game, sorry, than a lot of the stuff that's served up specifically down south. Uh, so, I, I completely agree with you on that one. I think. It's just, it's a bit bonkers. I just what I love about yeah. uh, the Premier League Premiership is that, as you say, like Hearts, one week, uh, one month, one season, will run away with it, and now they are kind of like struggling. And there is always that team that pull away. And it, Motherwell did that a couple of years ago, where they finished third, and then the season afterwards they're in a relegation battle. <laughs> um, so I I completely agree. I, I think it's the best football in the world, frankly. Um, can I ask you a quick question? I'm, this is something I meant to ask you last time. The split. In general, as a process, um, again, obviously we are usually first or second when the split happens, so we're always in the top six. But you know, as someone who kind of you know you mentioned the, the chance of being in the top six, how what what do you think of the split? Yeah, it's a it's a really weird one. Um, if you probably asked me after that Motherwell game, I'd have told you I hated it. But um, I think it, I think it is fair. I think it is fair. You know. We we only probably had ourselves to blame. You could look at numerous results last season where um, you could say, "I'm we're two 0 up against Motherwell, and we conceded in the 95th minute to to draw the game to eat." So it's actually Ricky Lamy who used to play for us as well that scored. Um, so that was a, a real kick in the the you know what. But <laughs> no, it was. Um, I don't mind this, but I think you've obviously got you've got three rounds of fixtures, eleven games. Um, if you don't get enough points to get in the top six, then you know. Tough luck, and I think that was that was the case for us. Again, I can pinpoint numerous times where where we drop points. You know, Ross County away, we're leading one 0 miss a penalty, and then uh, they go up the pitch and get an equaliser. So again, there's numerous times, but I think I think it's a good thing. It gives people uh, a lot to work towards. Um, again, I don't think many players will look back um, on their career and go, you know, we finished top six or whatever. Um, you're probably going to look at the games you won and the you know the points you got and things, and obviously we we finished with more points in fourth. So I think it's a bit it's a bit strange, but again, you you throw into that we're playing weaker opposition. You know, um, yeah. Try to remember, I think Dundee United were fourth and maybe only got one or two points after the split. But again, they're playing Hearts, Rangers, Celtic, yeah, um, and we're playing your St Johnstons, Dundees, etc. All at home. So um, I do think it is fair, and kind of the league gets a bit skewed after the split, but. It definitely is good for me, anyway, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's a, 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 I think it's just a way to stand out as well. And the fact, as you say, mentioned, you know, we the top six are playing tougher ties than the bottom six, so that kind of makes you know that the point system that people always complain about kind of makes it more kind of uh, relevant. I think. Um, obviously, you mentioned obviously the 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 two defeats against St Mirren and Ross County. Before that, two wins in a row, two one 0 wins. Then the two defeats, and then since then you beat St Johnson, as you said, and you you drew with Rangers last week. See, after the two defeats, was it did anything change, or was it just a case of keep doing the same things, uh, and eventually it'll come good? Yeah, I, I would say the latter. Um, I don't really. I mean, I was at both games, and I don't think we we were terrible in either. I, I, I genuinely think I kept a couple of my mates were were being a bit negative and things about it, and I think. That week, obviously, when Ross County beat us, they'd propelled off the bottom. Dundee United had won, so you're again, you're a wee bit looking down. I think we were maybe on 12, 13 points, and you know, you've gone from from being on that to them being on four or five points, and they'd 
obviously propelled their way up to eight or nine or yeah. whatever. So you were kind of looking down, but for me, it was always a case that we just weren't getting the rub of the green, if I'm, if I'm being honest. St Mirren away, we weren't great, but again, it's it's always going to be a scrap in that. We switched off for a goal. Again, you can probably individually analyse every goal and say it's preventable, but you know we were we were poor for the first goal and then we get the penalty, we miss the penalty um, as they go down to 10 men. Cracking save on the line, I must add, but um, it was Bruce Anderson got a goal back and you kind of got a bit more belief, but we we probably went too gung-ho. I think we were playing Nicky Devlin as a centre-back. We weren't playing any full-backs. We were proper going for it. And we got that goal back and you're sort of, I think it was maybe five, six minutes left. And we tried to proper go for it again. And, you know, St Mirren come, come back into the game with, with a man down. They get a, a few corners in succession and we just don't defend their box. So I think it was a wee bit naive from us then. And But, but Ross County at home for me was the one where, you know, Nothing nothing really worried me about that. You know, you come away frustrated, of course you do, um, when you when you get beat, especially at home, to a team that, that you should be probably beating at home. But again, like the amount of chances we created, the amount of sitters we missed, even at St Mirren as well. You know, I think Ayo Obelai had a couple in both. Um, Curtis Guthrie has one at Ross County. Um, I think there's a few more at St Mirren and, and Ross County that I'm forgetting. But we, we were creating the chances and genuinely it just... It sounds an easy cop out, and that I'm trying to be too positive, but we we honestly weren't getting the rub of the green. And then you go and play St Johnston at home. I, th- I just thought, you know, we keep doing the same things. We're getting into good positions. Um, we'll, we'll get the goals, and um, actually, the, the goal just comes from. I don't think we were as good as we were against Ross County in the St Johnston game, but yeah, you know, Bahambula just has a shot from the edge of the box, and um, it takes a nick off. I think it's Considine. It might have been. And, and goes into the back of the net. So, again, that's just a bit of luck you need. You know, nothing would go in for us against County. We hit the bar, um, hit the post, I think. Numerous saves by the goalkeeper. Ball wide of the post. I think the stats for that game was was it like a Celtic v Livy game, <laughs> to, to be honest. But I think you've been on the, the wrong side of those as well. But, um, yeah, and then you just have a shot and it deflects and goes in against, Ross, against St Johnston, sorry, so... I think it was a case of just sticking to what we were doing. And um, we, we've, as I say, we've been in every single game. It's just probably switching off defensively at the odd time and not being, not managing games enough. Um, I mean, it's, but, it sounds like you're, you're describing Celtic in the Champions League, to be honest. That's, yeah. You yeah. Know, it's a good comparison, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That, exactly. That's exactly how we were feeling. Uh, still in a wee bit of a downer, but what are you going to do? Um, the Rangers game. I watched the uh, I watched the second half of it. Uh, dogged, um, very organised. Uh, dogged is such. A, I don't mean that. This, that sounds like really no, not at all. No, no, but yeah, yeah, really well organised. Uh, really well drilled, and you had chances as well to kind of you know extend your lead. And obviously, Rangers get that last minute kind of goal. Um, but I thought you performed well. Are you going to? Is that how? Is that the kind of? where you're going to perform on Sunday, do you think? Obviously, that's an away game, might be a little bit different, but it is against the sort of the bigger teams in the league. I think so. I think so. That's that's probably what we will do. Um, again, Rangers though didn't, they probably don't threaten enough, um, threaten as much as Celtic. Um, I think I saw something like 73 crosses that they put in at the weekend. So just, just crazy numbers. But again, they, they didn't change it up at all. Celtic will try and play through you or, I don't think they got... I can't remember Rangers getting in behind no, or whatever. No, On any occasion, really. Um, I think Shamal George maybe had one or two saves to make and I don't think any of them were worldies at all. So, um, to, to be fair to Rangers, I think they were maybe unlucky towards the end. They got that goal back and then I think there's one or two sitters, Cholak and Lundstrom from headers. So, we're kinda, we kind of rode our luck towards the end. But spoke to a good few of my, my Rangers mates and they were saying, you know that we probably deserved all three points um, just with the, the way we defended. And I think, obviously, from that start with the crosses, the game plan was to to force Rangers wide, um, not allow Kent inside, for example. Yeah. They were just putting the crosses in and Obelai and Fitzwater were winning everything. I think that's probably going to be the, again, the, the message against Celtic, maybe force them wide, don't allow them to, obviously, the, the fullbacks invert and things and, try and play through us but again it's a totally different ball game I think 
you'll probably like hearing this on a, on a Celtic podcast, but I do think Celtic are streets ahead of Rangers, um, personally. But yeah, we we kind of went a four five one, um, which we started we started with on the first game of the season against Rangers and worked well. We've played against Celtic a good few times, but it's a really flat five. Yeah. Um, but I think Pittman was on the left, maybe uh, Stephen Kelly more towards the right. So again, you've got central midfielders really playing playing as a five. Sean Kelly was in there, Jason Holt as well. Um, so um, yeah, I, I think it will be a. We won't, won't play wingers as such, if you know what I mean. We, we Nubley, Nubley will cause problems on the the counter attack. You know, he can he can beat a man, he can get in behind, but he's also brilliant at holding the ball up. He'll, yeah. he'll pin a defender. Andrew Shinney's big in these games as well for me. He's the one I forgot from the the five on on Saturday. And again, you saw Shinney. He obviously played as a nine last season. Yeah, um, against Celtic and scored that that winning goal, obviously, which you know I absolutely love to bring up. But, um, <laughs> He he's great in these sort of games, just his experience and you know his his, his cleverness. He'll, he'll make a clever pass. You you know he'll, he'll win free kicks, as I say. But um, yeah, that's probably how we'll, we'll line up. You know, maybe maybe I'm totally wrong and we change that five at the back and we just you know five five two banks of five, sorry, and, and the blade will tuck in. But I think we will go that four five one. You almost double up on the full backs and the wingers. Yeah, as what's especially against Rangers is what's been a success and probably against Celtic over the years as well. I was going to ask that. Um, obviously, uh, it's this is a fixture that, you know, when I was growing up, there are certain fixtures you would look at and you you kind of, you know, grown a little bit. You know, Kilmarnock away under, like, you know, Tommy Burns and stuff. Always We always drew there or lost there. And, you know, we've had different fixtures throughout that, you know, that my time of watching Celtic where it would be that grown. And Livingston, to your credit, became quite a grown for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um but obviously, last season we kind of got that monkey off our back with that three-one victory in March. See, as Livingston fans, when Celtic were coming, was to the Tony Macaroni, was there a sort of sense of we've got a really, like we've got a good chance here? It's such a strange one because um, there were. Don't get me wrong, there were some games when um, Celtic came, and I was like. Especially the season, um, the, the COVID season, I was I wasn't really that fearful, but yeah, you know, um, especially at the start of last season, um, the the Shinny one 0 game, I, 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 despite the hoodoo and whatever, I still pretty much every time Celtic came, I was like, ah, we've rode our luck enough. It'll be <laughs> it'll be this, you know, we've lost Dykes now, we've lost Scott Robinson, yeah, and then Shinny pops up. Do you know what I mean? So it was it's incredible. But then obviously we had the nil nil at Celtic Park as well, so. Um, it was. I think the hoodie has ended now, um, but you you never know. You never know. It's. I think Livy kind of pride ourselves over the years as well. You, you look at the cup final in two thousand and four against Hibs, um, forty thousand Hibs fans to about twelve thousand Livy fans, or whatever it was. Kind of Livy thrive off that underdog tag, I would say. Yeah. Um, especially at the weekend, you know, absolutely zero pressure on Livy to get any sort of result let alone be that close to winning. Same against, you know, with the games against Celtic. Not, I know it ended the hoodoo or whatever, and as you said, the, the monkey off the back, but, you know, no Levy fan was absolutely devastated that Celtic come and beat them 3-1. Um, and it's big praise to us as well that, you know, Celtic do, I wouldn't say fear coming to Livingston, but, you know, they... Oh, they I, oh fuck. Yeah? I can say, as I say, like, it's, you know... Not a fan of going to uh-huh. the Tony Macaroni, which again I, I think is a, a lot of credit um, to the club. Uh, just kind of finishing up, there's been quite a bit of you know just from social media and stuff. A lot of Rangers fans talking about getting Martindale in to be the new Rangers manager yeah. if Van Bronckhurst goes. Firstly, how annoying is that? Another club talking about your manager, but also if it did come to pass, do you think he'd be a success? Yeah, um, I actually do. I, again, I'm not, you know, I, I know Davy personally and things. I'm not just kind of, you know, sucking up to him or whatever. But I, I do think tactically he's, he's one of the best. Maybe harsh, to, maybe a bit biased to say one of the best in the league. But just in the way he sets his teams up and things, you know, people will just say Livingston are, are grafters, Livingston are hard workers, and yeah, that's true. Of course it is, but 
you know, Davy's brilliant tactically, um, and his recruitment's brilliant as well. So, you know, I, do I think it would happen? No, I don't. But um, he's he's fantastic, and he's practically like him, he's in the bricks at Livingston for me now. Um, it's good to see him getting. I wouldn't say he's been heavily linked or whatever with, with jobs like that, or um, I don't even th- maybe uh, the Dundee United job or or whoever he wasn't even linked with those, and I think yeah. maybe his past comes into that a wee bit, um, which is you know slightly unfair. Towards him because I think we've all moved on from that now. But yep. you know he, he gets the best out of the players um, on a minimal budget. You know I'd, I'd love to see what he, what he would do with a, a budget the size of Rangers. Um, they'd be they'd be playing an awful lot better than than they are now. Um, but no, he's obviously he's been successful because of his work ethic and, and passion for the club. For me, and you know he's a Livingston man in terms of the fact that he's grown up here. Um, I think you know he's spoken about where his allegiance used to lie in terms of who he supported, but he'll admit himself now he's he couldn't care less about Rangers. Um, you know he's a, a Livingston fan first and foremost now, and I think he'd do a, a great job wherever we went. Genuinely, and you know I hope maybe one day that that he does get that move and he does you know propel himself on the managerial ladder, but just not quite yet. I'm, I'm not really not ready to. To, to get rid of them yet, you know, you I speak about the likes of David Hopkins and Gary Holt's teams, and you know, they were brilliant. But I think the again the one constant's been Davy Martindale. You know, he was a lot of people say he's pulling strings and things in the background, but he's he's, he's obviously had an influence. But you know, he's just really epitomises the club for me that that work ethic and the rise of, of Livingston. You know, going for League One, the double promotions up through the playoffs, again cementing ourselves in the Premiership. None of that happens without. Without Davy Martin deal, so um, fingers crossed he can get another memorable, another memorable victory, or even point at the weekend. Bo, bo. <laughs> um, just uh, finally, what would you say uh, if you were going to make a prediction? Doesn't necessarily have to be the scoreline; could be some goal score or something. What prediction would you like to make for the weekend? Um, tough one, tough one. I do think I've said this all week to to my mates that. One of the, obviously a record appearance holder, Scott Pittman. He's not scored in a while, and he loves a goal in a big game. So on the telly, I, I kind of fancy a Scott Pittman goal, and I'll, I'll go one each draw. I don't know. There's I was a wee bit quietly confident going into it at the weekend against Rangers, and we got something. So maybe just with Celtic being slightly leggy from Tuesday night, perhaps again I don't know. They could go and blow us away, but I'll be optimistic. I'll go one one. Good man, good man. Uh, I mean, it's not going to happen, but uh, good to be positive. <laughs> now, Callum, uh, a pleasure as always. Uh, speak to you again soon, sir. Perfect, Chris. Thanks very much. Now it's time to head over to the press room. I have cut it up so that you don't have to listen to the whole thing. As usual, there was questions that Ange was not particularly happy to answer a lot of the same repetition so i've cut up to make it as relevant as possible enjoy hi Ange. just before we start just a, a squad update if you would for this game obviously we saw jota back in the training field this morning yeah um yeah everyone got through sort of uh wednesday night no problems and uh um and then uh, tuesday night sorry and then uh uh, yeah, Jota's trained all week. Uh, Carl's back in training. Stephen Welsh is training. Apart from Callum, everyone else uh, um, is fit uh, in terms of full training. Uh, obviously, match fitness-wise, there's a few of those guys who uh, you know are not ready to start. But uh, in terms of availability, apart from Callum, everyone's ready to go. Just on the, the game on Sunday, I suppose... You don't need any reminder about the threats of Livingston and the, the result at the weekend. What, what are you expecting from this one? Yeah, it's it's a tough. It's going to be a tough game. It always is, particularly um, at their place. Um, you know, you know. Last year we, we kind of went there early early in the season and and, and didn't play well and and we we, we paid the price. But um, you know, our second trip there we we performed a lot better and and you know we got. You know, it was a strong performance and got the result. But you know that you know, they're a hard-working team. <coughs> you know, they're, they're, 
they're really hard to beat, particularly at home. And for us, that's that's the challenge that's before us. But our form home and away in the league's been pretty consistent, and um, you know our results certainly show that. And yeah, we've got to play well on the weekend and and try and overcome them. I was just talking about Livingston there, and what specific threats did they pose that perhaps? Other teams don't. We saw them last week have a very disciplined performance defensively at Ibrox. Is, is that one of their main strengths? Is it their physicality or is it just, you know, how good they can be at home? What, what do you see specifically in Livingston? Yeah, look, I think it's a combination of things. I think, you know, they're a really hardworking side, um, which, um, you know, makes them, you know, hard to overcome. Um, you know, I, I think similar traits to us in that respect because we, we, we're a hardworking side as well. You know, it's not... You know the game, you know, tends to be played. Um, you know, like I said, whether that's physically or, or just with sheer work rate, I think um, you know they provide that. And and at home, particularly, you know, obviously with the pitch as well, it, 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 it it's something they're they're more comfortable in, and they're the challenges you've got to overface, uh, overcome. But um, as I said again, for us, what's more important is what we can do. You know, the threats we pose and the football we play. Um, yeah, within that context, we know that if we play well, um, we'll be hard to stop. Hi, Ange. Um, just want to ask you about David Martindale. He was talking this morning about how much he really enjoys going up against the likes of yourself as a manager and the top teams generally in the division. But he also mentioned that there's probably more of a tactical uh, battle or element that goes into these games that maybe some people don't realise. Obviously, from his standpoint, that will be different from how you approach this game. But I just wondered what you thought about those comments and, and how that might affect going into a game when you know you're going up against a team like, like Livingston. Yeah, look, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I can't speak on, on David's behalf, but, you know, I think that's part of management is that, you know, I often hear, you know, managers here talking about playing, um, you know, the top sides and, and usually the top two sides and they just put them in as one but you know I think you'd have to approach both those um, games a little bit differently if you really want to be successful and I think the only thing about, I've noticed about Livingston is that you know they, they do put a lot of sort of research and thought into who they're playing and, and taking a, you know the approach that, that affects them the most and, and we're no different I mean we <coughs> Like I said, the one thing we always do is respect every opponent, irrespective of sort of their form or position on the ladder or, <coughs> or whatever other sort of um, you know, conditions arise. We we analyse them all. We you know we understand what their potential strengths are, areas that we can exploit, and you know within that context, it doesn't change the way we approach the game. But we certainly um, we certainly address those kind of things with our players and, and the way we approach the game. I think. Uh, <coughs> You know, football is like that these days. There's, there's, you got so many tools that there's really no excuse for teams not doing their homework and not managers not, you know, coming up with tactical plans or, or, or putting in the research to, on how to stop, you know, any opposition. And just uh, a word on, on your players and, and your season so far. I guess we can easily speak about the physical aspect of a busy schedule, but the mental aspect of it as well. So many games sticking fast. Does that make like last weekend's result and performance in a very busy game against Hearts all the more pleasing when your team show the mental strength to come through games like that? Yeah, I think it's important. Like you said, I mean, there's a physical toll, but there's also you know the, the fact that you've got to be up for a game you know, every three or four days. And um, <clears throat> I think what's helped us is that you know we have been able to sort of rotate the team a little bit, which which means guys coming in are kind of have that sort of freshness anyway in terms of they want to perform well. This is their opportunity, so. I think that's helped us through this period. I mean, I, you know, I was always conscious of the fact that there was no chance we would get through this schedule of games with just relying on a core group of players. Um, you know, we would have got a lot more injuries, and I think our performances, even if we didn't get injuries, would have sort of tailed off because just the general fatigue, mental and physical, that the players would have faced. But you know, the fact that we've made sort of four or five changes every game means that we've got. You know, new energy coming in, which means guys, even if they are maybe a little bit sort of fatigued, will we'll get energy from the guys coming in. And <clears throat> within that context, we're resting a few as well. So I think that's helped us maintain. Like I said, we, we've had you know, we've had some really strong performances in in this sort of cluster of games, but there's been some real challenging ones. Like I said, Hearts last week, um, St Johnson last minute, um, where we've had to work awfully hard as well. And 
I don't think we would have found that energy and that commitment if if we kind of were playing with the same sort of group of players through the whole bit. And just on that kind of subject, I don't know if it was around about this time last year that you know you, you got a kind of a run of injuries. I know you had a maybe a smaller squad as well, but is, is that the fact that it's only Cal Callum that's out now, and that was a, I think a, a tackle? Was that show that players again are getting used to the demands that you've you've put on them as well, and, and kind of building themselves up as well? Yeah, I, I mean, I think a little bit of a little bit of that for sure. Um, you know, I was. Yeah, I always felt last year was going to be <clears throat> really challenging because it's not just the way we play our football, it's the way we train as well, you know. It was, it's obviously very intense and <clears throat> for a lot of the players, you know, you could tell that just even sort of getting to the levels of intensity of training was going to be a challenge for them. So, you know, as you said, this time last year leading into sort of this period, we were almost down to the bare bones in terms of players. We'd lost quite a few and <clears throat> I think... The fact that the players who, who remained have obviously, you know, got, you know, their bodies have adjusted to the kind of, you know, training and football we want to play. I think we've also added to the squad um, with that knowledge as well. And I think we've got a much stronger squad of players this year that we can sort of call upon, so that we're not again relying on, you know, I mean, last year, you know, likes of, I don't know, it was Kiorg or Turnbull around this time, um, Jota, uh, I think Juranovic, all got really bad hamstring injuries, which kept them out for quite a long time because of just the pure accumulation of games and we haven't had to do that for the most part this year which I think so you know it's a combination of a stronger squad and, and you know players adjusting to the levels. Just ask you, obviously the, the last time you went to Livingston it had been a long long time since so they could won there and it felt like a big win just the, the fans reaction as well on the day and, and the way that you the players approached the start of the game it was very Intense from the start. Does, does it feel like when you go there, it is a one of the toughest tests? That it is a big challenge. That, the, that everything around it and that that memory of last season can help that that process as well. Yeah, look, it it, it, it yeah, it doesn't make you know the the challenge any easier because you have one there before. But I think what we showed because it wasn't just the fact that we won the game. I thought we played really well on the day. Um, what it also shows is, is it's that it's not a challenge that's insurmountable either, which I think it was beginning to feel like because we hadn't won there for a while that somehow the only way you could win there was just to go there and just try and manage to get a win any old way and and get out of there. Where you know I think sometimes that becomes a prevailing attitude when you haven't had success, you know, at a, at a certain venue or a certain level. That could be even like for us the Champions League is that <clears throat> you think oh we just need a win and everything will be all right, but. You know, I think what we showed last year is you can actually, you know, play, you know, good football or play the kind of football we want, uh, perform well, and and get a win. So, but that, the fact that we did that last year doesn't mean automatically it's going to roll out this year. We, we've got to make sure that, you know, we're ready for it. We're up for the game like we were last year and expecting a tough challenge and um, and find a way to get to to overcome it. Hi Ange, um, I know you've played in the plastic pitch in a couple of stadiums several times before, but does, before this game, does that alter your thinking in terms of the team that you'll pick and uh, you know just the preparation around the game as well? Um, not to a great extent. I mean, obviously, we've got a, uh, an artificial pitch at Lennox Town, so <clears throat> you know, we'll have a session on that tomorrow, which is probably the only time of the year we kind of you know, train on that is before if we're going to play a game on on the artificial. Not that it's exactly the same, but it just gives a, the players a sort of a, a taste of um, you know what it could be like. And um, but aside from that, nothing really changes for us in terms of team selection and <clears throat> the way we sort of approach the game. It it remains the same. You know, um, the team selection for for Sunday will be around the team. That I think we'll, we'll be able to get the job done. Um, it's not picking a team for. For a surface, it's picking a team that you know I think is going to be up for the challenge of taking on a, a really you know difficult opponent um, and and making sure we perform at our levels. Where do you stand yourself just on the the issue of artificial pitches and top flight football and the advantage that it gives to the teams that are used to playing on it all the time? Yeah, I think I've said it before. I don't think I I, I just don't like them. Not because of the advantage it gives. I just don't, I just think it alters the game itself and. Um, I much prefer to play on, on, you know, natural turf. I think it's a better game, better game of football, better spectacle, and uh, <clears throat> I think players feel more comfortable on it. So it's not, it's not about the advantage that you know uh, other teams get. It's just 
just my preference. I think <coughs> I understand why they're there, and I understand you know why you know uh, clubs, um, some clubs prefer to go that way. But you know, um, I think clubs here in Scotland have proven they can put up some world class pitches. When we played at Motherwell, and you know, even St Johnson, and 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 you know, the pitches were great. You know, and it doesn't mean that you know we have more of an advantage that just because it's a turf pitch. I think, you know, it's a, I just think it's a, it's a better spectacle and, and a better game. But, you know, I understand the reasons that the clubs do it. But, yeah, I know in, in Holland now they're, they're, they've, they've brought in the rule that they're going to be phased out. by um, and, and they were a country that went very big on artificial pitches, you know, uh, because of the weather and, and because of the advantages of them. But I think they've found that, you know, at top level... Um, you know, it's not the same game and, and they've decided that, you know, they're going to change it. I was just wondering, what are the changes in preparation when you're playing in the Scottish Premiership compared to when you're playing in the Champions League? None. Um, you know, again, I think our approach has been that, <clears throat> you know, you've got to respect every opponent the same way. If, if we if we kind of changed our approach just because we were playing in the Champions League than we were in the league, then I'd be asking questions as to, you know, why we're selling ourselves short. We want to be the best team we can be. And, and to do that, you've got to treat every opponent with equal respect. You've got to treat every game with equal respect. You've got to treat every competition with equal respect. And um, so our preparations are always the same. We, we, we put as much scouting and, and analysis into every opponent. We prepare the team as if they're going to play. You know, my, my thing is that, that the, the most important game for us for the whole season is the next one. Um, so... You know that's the attitude we've taken, and that's why I think, you know, we've been successful so far um, in navigating, you know, all the, the the games we've had. Is that, you know, the players embrace the the fact that the next game is the most important. I'm joined as always on this Friday morning by uh, my good friend Christian Wolf to do some opposition scouting of Livingston. Hello, Christian. How are you? Hello. Yes, joining on an actual Friday. Yes. This time, fresh, fresh analysis of Livingston. Fresh analysis of Livingston. Um, Obviously, we had the disappointment of uh, the Shakhtar game, but we've moved on and we are looking ahead to uh, our trip to the Tony Macaroni Stadium, 12pm on Sunday. Uh, Christian, how are you feeling about this one coming into it? Well, first of all, have we moved on? Because on the review on Tuesday, let me tell you, I had not moved on in that <laughs> podcast around. So me and Graham will break down the Shakhtar uh, stuff as well. But it might be a bumper episode of the review because Livingston is an interesting team. Tactically, we'll get into that. So yeah, I mean, you never really want to go to Livingston, do you? Yeah. Uh, to, to play football either so especially after this so it's it's a really interesting matchup it's also one that where Celtic I think can exploit a lot of things I think it's they really I mean this sounds obvious but you need to be on your game against this Livingston team because they, they come prepared I just mean there's, as I said, there's lots of things Celtic can exploit here. I'll get into them. But yeah, you, you need to be switched on. It's, and not just like a button funder switched on, let's get stuck into them. You know, you need to do the right things tactically here, like Celtic did in March uh, when they went away. So it'll be an interesting one tactically as well. And that's what we, that's what we, really. Can I ask you a quick question before we start? Yes. Um, and genuine thoughts on this. Um, is Martindale an underrated tactician? You know, you look on a lot of social media and you see people, oh, Livingston only play the same way, he's, you know, one-trick pony. But in reality, is there a little bit more substance to his actual game uh, than maybe people give him credit for? You might not want to hear this, uh, but yes. Uh, I, I think for years, Livingston under Martindale has been one of the most... It's going to worry you, it's progressive, not maybe in terms of playing style, but his, his actual work behind the scene in terms of analysis, in terms of use of data, in terms of recruitment and, and how they look at that. So and I've kind of known this because obviously we've we've known people who worked at Livingston since they kind of knew it, but uh, a couple of different people who actually worked for Livingston in a couple of different ways. But 
there is also I'm using this a little bit in the analysis because I thought it was interesting. There was an article in, in the Athletic. I can't remember the writer's name, uh, uh, but about you know you got all access in to Livingston the week before the Rangers game there, and you can kind of and obviously you know you're going to put your best side forward when you, you got somebody you know with full access, but it, it's clear from that and what we've known before that. This is a very well prepared team. It's like the lowest budget, pretty much in in the division, but they're very well prepared when it comes to you know analysis, you know video analysis, and, and how they how to set up and how Martindale thinks. And I, I think you know he's a character, of course, uh, but yeah, he's he's and I don't know how he would fare with better players and a better team. And how that, but yeah, it's, it's, so there's a reason why Livingston is is in the division year after year under him because they are prepared for, for one double by the word. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's focus on on the game on Sunday. Uh, talk me through some of your thoughts. So we, I mean, there's a lot of tactical thoughts, but if you kind of start with the stats, um, Stephen Russell's X points have Livingston in, in sixth. How Stephen had time to update the X points this week, but a new Taylor Swift album out? I don't know, but but he did. Uh, so Livingston is sixth on X points table in terms of which matches where they are at the table as well. Pretty much everything else that they are around that area in terms of the actual output when it comes to chances. You know, the XG difference is fifth, and again, maybe not unsurprisingly, they're. The chances they create puts them in, in seventh in the league, but the chances they concede put them in fourth. So there's nothing in the data that'll come as a big surprise to you. You know, they're um <laughs> the stat I like with with Livingston is, is so typical as and it's nice when the kind of data backs up what, what you see as well. To get into the final third of the opponent's half like how many times Livingston gets into the final third. Control the ball, the tenth in the league, so it's pretty far down. But they don't do that often. In terms of how many times they get into the penalty box and control the ball, the fourth. Oh, wow! Right? So it, you know, direct is, is one word. You know, so, so when they do attack, when they get, you know, they they have a good capability to get into the opponent's box. A lot of that that is also counting like you know set pieces and so on. So there's obviously. Um, a lot to do with that that we know. In terms of passes, second least passes uh, per game in the league. Um, possession is, is, is a bit more, but it's a team that's, if you know, you know, they're compact when they attack, they're direct, they're fast. And, but you can, it bears out like the defensive stats bears out, you know, as I said, next you can see there's fourth shots against fifth. Um, okay, they let, in terms of letting teams into their own final third, they're ninth, but into their own penalty box, they're seventh. You know, so they're a team that knows how to defend their box and, and their defend their area. So it's everything you 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 thought about Livingston is is born out of, of the stats as well. Uh, I think, but they deserve to be sixth. You know, absolutely in terms of all the stats and everything. So they're comfortably uh, like fifth, sixth on the table. And everything. Yeah, um, it's just obviously they had that. That monumental result last week, where you know I, I watched the second half of it, and you know they're really, really unlucky, lucky not to win. Um, in regards to how they're going to set up and how they're going to, you know, approach the game, will it be very similar to last week? Will it be very much a case of uh, what they did last week and just replicate it, or will they take a, a different approach against us? I think it will be very similar, and we can kind of go through the reasons. Why? And I think that the, the point about Martindale preparing his team and analyzing, you know, carefully, I think he will also go back and look at, you know, the game in March. You know, we put a thread out on the analysis account about that was kind of seen as, you know, this huge game for Celtic, and it was. And Celtic completely totally be a part that game and they did it in a, in a really clever way and the analysis we did afterwards was very much built on Livingston maybe they expected a lot of crosses maybe they always expect a lot of crosses but it, they kind of set up in this you know 4-4-2 
defensively. So they had the two uh, forward plays. Uh, Alan Forrest was one of them, actually. And then behind that, you know, it was kind of man for man, but they consistently put the two big centre-backs in the middle. They didn't move from the middle so against Jason Maeda. And what that essentially did is the same pattern all the time against Celtic. So those two centre-backs staying centrally in the middle of, of the penalty box almost meant that there was huge spaces for, for Celtic out wide, uh, especially between the Levy fullback and the closest centre-back because the fullback would put push right out on the Celtic winger, but the centre-back would, would stay in the middle, yeah. right? And because you had, you know, plays like Jota, Taylor, McGregor, Rodrick, they, like, they, were, they all had, I think, really good games. That, I mean, they were on it, and they managed to get to a situation where there's, there were one against one, two against two, three against three on in, in, the, in the wide areas. And because the movement and the, the pressing, uh, the, the passing and everything was on, they created so much chances into that kind of half space, as we call between the fullback and the centre-back for, for Livingston. So I thought that was really effective. And it, that game had a lot to do. That There was really good counter-pressing. We'll, we'll come to that as well. But essentially, the way Livy's, you know, Martin, I remember Martin said, said before that, that game, oh, they have a plan. Maybe they have a plan, but it's, it's Celtic tore it to pieces. And I think that had a lot to do with leaving so much space in those areas. So. The interesting thing against Rangers, you know, I always come on and say, like, if what you if you do opposition scouting on behalf, say, of you know, Celtic, what you, in the Premiership, what you want is for a team to have played Rangers really recently, because <laughs> you know, you know, that's going to be you know a rough idea how they're going to set up. Um, so it's very nice to have this this Rangers game uh, for a few reasons before that, but yeah, against. Rangers, they set up a little bit different. And the main difference is that instead of they have more of a 4 3 2 1, the Christmas tree, you know, as, as an Italian football fan, you, you know, the, the classic Christmas tree uh, formation. Um, and then this, like, interview with, with Martin Dale on it, he kind of goes through his, his reasons for doing that. So he didn't really want to play with two wingers, but that they played. They're kind of supposed to be like on on, on the on the side, uh, Pittman and Kelly. They play them more inwards, right? So you don't the nominal. So they kind of sit behind. There's two kind of kind of attacking midfielder more than wingers sitting behind the striker, um, and then they moved Sean Kelly into midfield uh, as well from centre back. So I think that was a lot to do how they want to attack. So they win the ball, they want to have lots of players centrally so they can attack quickly. But it was also a, a way of kind of denying space centrally and, and pushing kind of Rangers. So I think Rangers had something like 70 crosses, right? Um, which we know Celtic sometimes kind of been in that pattern as well. So I think you will see something similar against Celtic, that they'll line up one striker, but then kind of two attacking midfielders behind that, but they're essentially in the half spaces. You know, there'll be a cross between a central midfielder and a winger. And nominally, they'll look after Celtic's fullbacks, but they can come in, which as well. And when part of that is, if they can try counter against Celtic, they'll have easy access to those players centrally quickly. So I think they'll have that. That's why you'll see that. That'd be one of the main difference. To be honest, it kind of makes sense to line up against Celtic that as well to have your you know more plays centrally to look after it um so, so see with uh sorry to interrupt you but see with their invert, inverted fullbacks obviously kind of coming into the middle does that make it more does that make it tougher for them or does that make it easier for them that everyone's kind of in that central area not everyone but like your fullbacks are in that central area as opposed to overlapping yeah so I think this is a really good point in terms of if, if we leave kind of the centre-backs and stuff for now. So, so what he's, I think what Martin will, will try to do here, his, his three in midfield, so call them like the more three defensive midfielders. They're very man-oriented, right? 
So, and I've, I've sewn you a couple of screenshots. You might send this out to the listeners as well so, so you can have a look. Yeah. But especially on ranges to number eight, so it's really Davis and Tillman here. They were followed pretty much everywhere. Like wherever they went, Pittman, um, as a whole tour, and, and the, the Kelly and the midfielders would follow them. And they would stay a little bit on Lundstrom as well, but especially those two, wherever they went, they would follow them. And then you would have those kind of wingers looking after the fullbacks and the fullbacks looking after Celtics wingers. So, but the really interesting thing, what Martindale says in the dressing room after the game is, you know, this is an athletic article. He, he talks about, okay, that felt like the feet and stuff like that. But after he says, he, our distances, he says this to the players, our distances were spot on and we matched the rotations brilliantly and you were magnificent in defending your box. So, but that key, we matched their rotations brilliantly. I, I think that's going to be a key as well because they didn't do that in much, right? And, and, and Rangers patterns are, we call rotations, it's actually players changing positions, but Rangers patterns are a bit different because you have your wingers, Arfield and Kenter, who often come inwards, fullbacks wide, Tillman especially pushed right the way up against the defensive line. So it's slightly different patterns than Celtic because the fullbacks go wide, uh, inwards more and then the wingers stay wide. But that match the rotations, I reckon, is going to be Martin Dale's mantra before this because he wants to avoid what happened in March in terms of Celtic exploiting those kind of spaces on either side of the centre-back. So I think they're going to set up a lot a lot similar to that, whereas those kind of narrow wingers will follow Celtics fullbacks, as you say. So you, you don't have a nominal winger. You have somebody kind of in between, inverted winger, which theoretically, as you say, should match up nicely against Celtics fullbacks if they come inwards. And the fullbacks are going to jump out on the wingers. That's what we saw as well. And then say if it's Hatate and... One number eight, if it's going to be Moy or Turnbull, if it's going to put O'Reilly up, I don't know. But they're going to follow Hatate plus one everywhere, I think. And okay, Hatate, for example, is going to try and exploit that space between the fullback and the centre-back, Levis. But Tillman tried to use, do the same thing and hold on him all the time, like all the time. If he went to the bathroom, he went after him, right? So, uh, so I think that's going to be the same thing. Martindale will want those kind of three players, his inverted ringer, his fullback, and his number eight, to follow Celtics number eight, Hatate, uh, say fullback Taylor, and a winger, say if it's uh, Maeda on that side, or Bada, or Haxavanovic. They, they want, he'll want to match their rotations. So that's what Celtic do well, you know, those three players especially change positions all the time. You know, you, you can hardly ever tell who's the fullback, who's the winger, and who's the central midfielder, and it really works. And I think Martindale's just going to line up exactly like that, and they're going to match their rotations, as I say. So they're going to try and stem up for that. And then they'll have the two big guys in, in the middle. So if Celtic kind of doesn't get anywhere, and they just send crosses in like Rangers did, they just head them out, essentially. So I think that's roughly what he's going to do. Um, you know, uh, Asset, you, you, you were telling me this yesterday, and... Uh... I replied by saying, "Oh, the McKinnis principle," but it's a little bit more. <laughs> it's a little bit more kind of thoughtful than just man marking, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's not stupid, right? So I think you'll have. I think that the number eight Celtics number eight will be marked quite carefully. But it is. I think it's it's, 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 it's a bit more sonal and stuff. Like the first kind of press with the with the strikers. And the two attacking midfielders kind of sit behind that. It's a little bit more sonal. And it's not like against Kelly and Ross County where it's Jens or Welsh. We're just allowed to run up. Right? Nobody stopped them. Like you won't get that. I think Livingston's kind of block is, is a bit more intense. It's slightly more sonal at the start in terms of what they're trying to do. See, behind the front three, there's a lot more sonal going on. Uh, sorry, man marking going on in terms of... Um, those number eights, if the ball goes that wide, the fullbacks will, will jump out on them. And then I think once Celtic, say if Celtic gets into the final third, yeah, you'll see, you know, that those wingers stick into the fullback, fullbacks stick into the wingers and so on. But it's not as stupid as <laughs> in this man marking, but there has elements of it. 
and the interesting thing with that is that if, if you have those kind of they want to match the players and how they move if you can then achieve that what we call that overload so you if you have at least one more player in those area uh, for a few seconds or even if you can set up a two against two with huge spaces behind so sometimes it's not about maybe staying away a little bit more for Celtics and maybe not overloading that, but let the fullback and the wingers face up against the other wing and the fullbacks and the other center, uh, center midfielders just pull away. Yeah. So it's about that manipulation of space and, and and how Celtic will do that. But as I say that, Celtic will need to move well. They will need to rotate well to take advantage of this because if, if they don't have that movement, I think it's going to be difficult and you're going to re- revert back to lots of crosses essentially uh obviously we we, we talked about in the previous game in march uh i remember and um, we discussed this uh how great maeda was through the middle but mm. also i seem to remember tom rogic having a really really good game as well in that it did um it did Beton had a good game as well um you know we talked even about- pressing wise <laughs> it, it, it was quite good like the other part of that game i think what kind of really Livy struggled with was how good Celtic's counter-pressing was. And I think it was good because it's it's a small pitch anyway, right? Um, but what happened was that Celtic's defense pushed quite far up. But Maeda is obviously a striker that runs a lot back and he's very aggressive in coming, you know, kind of dropping to fight for the ball. So if you have your defensive line pushing up if you have a striker coming down obviously the, the space is really restricted for Livingston so if, if they have the ball in that area boom you know you're going to get it one way or another be it from the striker be it from defenders being pushed up being all the midfielders swarming around you so that worked really well so I think that's another way of as I said Livingston is not a big passing team right there's second least passes in the league and they want to be direct so what you want to do if you lose the ball in, in Livingston's half First of all, you want your defensive line pushed all the way up. So if the ball is lost in the fi- in Livingston's final third, there's lots of players around it. Not just the defenders are close, but if the defenders push up, the midfielders push up. So, and then also if if you have a striker that's very active in in that kind of counterplacing, obviously that helps as well. So, uh, Maeda was brilliant that game. He was brilliant offensively. He was brilliant defensively. I don't think he's. I don't think he's played many games as a striker after that. <laughs> something to be honest, I'll, I'll be very surprised if if he does uh, start on top. But I think it's a good game for Maeda to have Maeda there in terms of if if you can kind of compress that space and you stop Livingston being able to go long quickly and direct. Uh, I think you want someone like Maeda in there, you know, to, to kind of create a bit of chaos you know we talked a lot about how we maybe don't want that much chaos in in europe and we could come back to that on tuesday in terms of Shakhtar because front press really didn't work but this is the kind of game where i think you just need it worked so well last time to win the ball back quickly i mean i think it's the second half celtic win the ball back around the midfield line two three times um in quick succession and i think the third time they score right and it's it's that kind of stuff that i think will be a big part of it. Uh, what I don't get is, see, if, well, not that I don't get it, but obviously you've got Kyogo and you've got Jack and Marcus there, right? But see, if it worked, if you had that blueprint to beat them last time, would you not maybe just think, well, do you know, it worked with Maeda through the middle, why not, Why do we not just do that again? You do, I mean, and I guess the other thing that game is famous for is that we think that Ange kind of looked at the physicality of that, kind of mashed it up. Because I remember Rasen comes in for Duran, which Beton comes in yeah, uh, as well. So you, you do wonder if you look at that and you say, okay, it, this worked really well last time. And you do have now alternatives on the wings. If if you wanted to play Maeda on top, you still got Haxedanovic, you got Forrest, you got Abada to kind of... I don't think Jota's maybe ready, probably not put him in here, but yeah. you, you, you do have alternatives um, to do that. So if you, it is kind of a game where, you know, Gigi played 90 minutes. Um, and Kyogo played, 
you know, a good 68 minutes as well. So, and that was a tough shift in terms of physically for both of them in terms of how much they, they had to run. But so I don't think it's, it's, it, 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 on the paper, it kind of, it's kind of logical to put my head out there. <laughs> you know, if you want to kind of recreate that, that thing, but I think what you need from, from your striker in these kind of games is that Livingston have, you know, they know how to head a ball away, right? So one of the senses of making them a bit more uncomfortable is maybe you don't want to do that many crosses. You want a striker, you want an attack that's not built around crosses because that's what Livingston want. They want to defend their box. Yeah. And, and there'll be space. So I, I think that kind of, in a lot of sense, it makes sense that Maeda would start as well. I don't think he will, but, you know. It'd be funny if it did. <laughs> now that we talked about it, because <laughs> the first the first game uh, of you know the first game that Ange went to Tony Macaroni, I think we were all kind of like, okay, here's the first really big test, and we kind of flopped because we hit five hundred thousand crosses, and we just kind of played into their hands, and obviously we we countered that in the March game. So, I mean, when it comes to actual taking them on, and what are what are the key principles you think to to beating them? Looking at how they played against Rangers, I, I think you need to exploit that kind of man marking. So essentially, you have to be able to make those runs. I, I think the midfield will be key here. You know, the, the fullbacks will go inwards, the, the wings will stay wide. But the kind of cherry on the top of those kind of rotations is the midfield tree. And that is that means the number eights pushing into that space between the fullback and centre back, making those runs. The opposite number eight from where the ball is, they come over and help kind of overload. And also actually the, the number six, what does help if you have that tree, a tree, tree against tree uh, on the side, for the number six to actually help and, and push up as well and create those overloads. And also that if, if you have that much movement in your midfield tree, obviously your defensive line has to push up as well. So I, I think it is kind of compressing that space and manipulating space. So Livingston, so I think wingers starting wide, fullbacks coming inwards, creating that movement. But then the midfield tree needs to have, they need to have pace on the ball, but they needs to have huge movement to kind of keep pulling at limits and keep pulling them everywhere and keep creating those spaces. Cause if they do, there's going to be a lot of spaces and in, in, in those half spaces, uh, essentially between the fullback and center back. So it's, I think it's the, the movement from the midfield tree, defensive line pushing up and then the wingers and fullbacks just doing what they, they are good at really. Yeah. Um, any kind of final thoughts? What are you confident coming into this? It's going to be a tough shift, as you said, uh, regarding, you know how much work and effort they're going to put into it. I just the the kind of the the, the point I raised about Tom Rogic performing mm-hmm. so well was I'm not sure we've got a Tom Rogic like character in the midfield. That's not to say the the players aren't terrific because they absolutely are, but someone who can maybe or is that Haksabanovic? Yeah, it, you have one called Matt O'Reilly, but he's playing at the six at the moment. The six, so yeah. I. I uh, so, I, I think you know, obviously it's surprise. I'm I'm not Aaron Moy's biggest fan. Uh, so you would maybe you would expect me to say this anyway. But I don't think this is a game for an Aaron Moy or David Turnbull. No, well, they probably come both come out and score a hat trick now. When I said that, but that, that, that's okay if they do. But I, I think you kind of need that in constant running and a constant movement and and directness. So yeah, Haksabanovic. Or O'Reilly higher up and Abbey score behind them, which is kind of matches what I did last year at that point when Bitton was on at McGregor and, and Rochick was higher up. So um you need movement and you need quickness from those from from the midfield. So it's a huge shift for Hatati on, on Tuesday as well. But I think he is keen. I think you want one of O'Reilly or Haxabanovich ideally beside them. And then if it's Abel Gore in the six, maybe. Um, I think it might be a good game for it. Lovely stuff. Uh, final thoughts, Christian? Predictions? Excited? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a bit of trepidation, but I think, you know, there is the, the four-point gap now, which is good. 
I don't know that physical source, you know, big physical shift that they're slightly put in at ranges and, and getting deflated right at the last minute. And having played ranges, even just tactically, but at question mark is how, how does that play out? Does that help Celtic? Because, you know, they need to regroup physically and mentally, or does it kind of not help Celtic? Because they're already done one game. They know what they're going to do. They're just going to replicate it. So I think that's an interesting part of it. So, yeah, but whatever happens, Christopher, we'll break it down on the, the review on Tuesday. Love, life, live. Or whatever that phrase is. Uh, yes, yes, love life, live Livingston. Uh, fantastic as always, Christian. And as you said, we'll we'll break down uh, the Livingston game. We'll break down the Shakhtar game from a tax and stats and tactics point of view. Uh, look forward to seeing you and listening to you then. Pleasure, sir. Pleasure's online. Thanks to Callum. Thanks to Christian for their fantastic insight into the game against Livingston kickoff is at midday on Sunday straight after the game there will be a reaction that you can listen to as soon as we finish recording it will be dropped into your RSS feed on the app and on the website so check that out we'll also have minute by minute on Twitter by our good friend Graham Mackay so we have got all angles covered Uh, thanks for listening to the preview hopefully we'll do more of these moving forward I'm Chris Gallagher and we'll speak to you down the road